Christ is risen. The Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the church year. And some might be surprised at this, as we don't have the special music like last Sunday. The flowers aren't quite as nice. There's no Easter breakfast, and the smell is not wafting into the sanctuary. And our attendance today, believe it or not, is not nearly the attendance of last week. Yet today is one of my favorite Sundays of the church here. Why? Well, first of all, Jesus is just as much risen today as he was last Sunday. In fact, he's always the risen Savior ever since that very first Easter. And so there is joy and peace and eternal life in him. Plus, this Sunday we get to sing more of our great Easter hymnody, and there's more Easter hymns that can fill up one service. And then there's this glorious gospel from John chapter 20. It's the gospel that you're going to hear every single second Sunday of Easter on infinitum. In it are stories of Jesus' first appearance to his disciples on Easter, the story of Thomas and his promise to believe in the resurrection. This lesson is so very rich that I could easily preach 10 different sermons on it. But I'll preach one today. This, this text, so very rich. But I want to focus on just a few words. Thomas's confession, my Lord and my God. I pray too that this day you would look to Jesus and you too to Jesus would say, my Lord and my God. But this is much harder than just mouthing the words, my Lord and my God, because this only comes from the believing heart of understanding that Jesus indeed is Lord and God. When Thomas confesses that, that Jesus is my Lord and my God, he is confessing that Jesus is Yahweh and Elohim, that Jesus is indeed the God of the Old Testament who created the heavens and the earth, the Lord who made an everlasting covenant with Israel to save Israel and all of mankind, the Lord who made promises of his own atoning death. My Lord and my God are words of great meaning. Yet your sinful nature can easily strip the meaning of these words, Lord and God. You live in a world where the truth about God has been basically minimized, replaced, and and be given, and in its place is the great lie that God is basically present. Yes, he's here, but he's here only for you on your terms. You can pretty much do what you want, that God is there to make you happy. He really won't judge you as long as you're somewhat good to others, and basically you're going to go to heaven as long as you're really not too, too bad. The object of life is your personal happiness, your well-being, that your choices make you happy, and God is there to help you achieve your own personal happiness and well-being. God is not really Lord and Master. He's a means towards the goal of your self-fulfillment, your happiness. This view of God is all around you, and with it are thoughts that God does not really care if you ignore his word, he doesn't really care if you neglect worship. He does not really care what you watch or if you adapt your morals to fit with others around you. All around you is a big lie that God exists for your happiness rather than you exist to love and serve God, your maker and owner, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is, though, in Thomas's confession, the confession of the big truth, that God is God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The fiery angels surround the throne of God, crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God of Sabaoth, to which Isaiah could only fall down, thinking he's a dead man, since he's the presence of the Holy and Almighty God. God is God, and he rules over the heavens and the earth. He is holy, and you are his creatures, wholly responsible to live holy lives pleasing to him. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. You always live in the presence of the true God. And John testifies to the true God where he begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It is the holy and almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, who appeared to Moses in the burning bush, who becomes flesh and dwells among us. From the beginning of John, you are to understand that Jesus is the full God as God has revealed himself in the Old Testament. He is holy God, but he's a holy God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jesus is the God of the covenant who comes to save. In the Gospel of John, Jesus then will do even greater miracles than he did as God in the Old Testament. He heals a man born blind. You never see this in the Old Testament. And Jesus does it. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Not in the Old Testament do you see somebody rotting in tomb being raised from the dead, but Jesus does it. Jesus is God and he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus, God incarnate, fully atoned for all the sin of the world on the cross. And Jesus from the cross says triumphantly, it is finished, that is, all sins paid for, redemption has been accomplished. So Thomas's confession of my Lord and my God is a triumphant confession where the words Lord and God have their fullest meaning. Thomas is confessing that Jesus is truly Yahweh and Elohim. Yahweh, God's personal name, and his name was so respected that the Jews would only say Lord instead of saying Yahweh. And Elohim is the Hebrew word for God. With Thomas's confession, you now hear the boldest and deepest confession of faith possible. And this confession of Thomas is indeed what you have repeated in the Nicene Creed, where you too have confessed that Jesus is Lord and God. Also the apostles in the Athanasian Creed expand upon this great confession of Thomas. Now speaking of Thomas, we kind of know him as Doubting Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap, Doubting Thomas. But the other disciples only believed in Jesus because a week earlier, they saw two the nail marks. They too saw the risen Jesus. Rather than saying Doubting Thomas, I'd say we have two different um, situations. You have Denying Thomas and you have Confessing Thomas. At first, Thomas did more than doubt, he actually denied. He says, I will in no wise, I'm not gonna possibly believe Jesus' resurrection unless I see those nail holes in his hands and put my hand into his side. And yet, this denier, in the presence of the risen Lord and the nail holes being shown to him, Thomas confesses, my Lord and my God. This is really a radical confession. 
a Jewish man in 30 AD, standing three feet from another Jewish man, says, my Lord and my God. What a confession of faith. After all, you remember how careful the Jews were not to have an idol, not to worship false gods. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Jews who did not believe in him picked up stones to stone him. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And here, Thomas, a faithful Jew, looks at another Jewish man three feet from him, understanding fully now that Jesus is true man and true God, and says, my Lord and my God. This, indeed, is a great confession, and great it is. Yet Jesus follows up Thomas's great confession with these words. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Up until this time, only eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, such as Thomas, the other disciples, Mary Magdalene, and the other women, were believers in the resurrected Christ. Here, in this verse, Jesus is anticipating you believing in him. Jesus knew you from the beginning of before, from before creation. He knew that you needed his salvation. So he not only died on the cross for you, he rose from the dead for you. And he has given you his sure word that you too would confess him as Lord and God. That's why John wrote the gospel. John says at the end of our text, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. The Holy Spirit did not inspire John to write a gospel so that you would know how tall Jesus was, how long his hair was, uh, was his beard scraggly or was really full. No, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write the gospel so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and so that you too would have life in his name. Jesus indeed is Lord and God. He is the God who saves. He's the God of whom David would confess, but you, uh, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus is Lord and God, the God who saves. You this day are in need of surety and comfort. You need surety that there's meaning to your life, that you will live beyond death, that God loves you. And you have this because Jesus is Lord and God for you. You need comfort. You need peace in times of mourning, peace in times of weakness, in times of illness, in times of loneliness and despair. And there is comfort, there is such peace. Jesus is Lord and God. Rejoice, my brothers and sisters, this day, for this same Jesus has appeared to you in his word. This same Jesus comes to you in his blessed sacrament. Indeed, with Thomas, you can confess, my Lord and my God. Amen.